Hey everybody, JG here. Welcome to IRC Book Club. This week on Book Club we have Mark Hunter, author of A Mind for Sales. He gave a really interesting interview with regards what's going to be taking place in the job market, what's going to be taking place for us salespeople as we go into completely, globally unknown territory. So strap yourselves in. Uh, we had great banter, great rapport with the guy. Welcome to Book Club. Without a doubt, we're going to see two things. We're going to see out of this come a lot of births and a lot of divorces. <laughs> I said exactly that this week. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Book Club. First rule of Book Club is you must always talk about Book Club. Second rule of Book Club is tell everyone about Book Club. Yeah. With, I am busy as can be. I'm having meetings and conversations with people I never had before. It's absolutely, um, it's it's insane. Uh, and what would you put that down to, Mark? The, the coronavirus. I mean, my business has totally shifted. You know, I used to do a lot of keynote speaking up until two weeks ago. And uh, keynote speaking, of course, is done. But people are asking me to do things online. CEOs are calling me, just asking me for advice and coaching and consulting and helping. Um, it, it really is amazing. Uh, there's a tremendous number of opportunities, and, and a number of industries are going gangbusters. And you know, other industries have stopped short. Um, but yeah, it's it's crazy. It's a good time to train your salespeople now, isn't it? They're down. Well, see, that's exactly what's happening. That That is what's going on. What's happening is people are saying, hey, Mark, uh, can I set up, you know, five or six webinars with you and my team? And, and uh, you know, it's money in my pajamas. Good for you, Mark. Good for you. Pounds uh, in pajamas. How's that sound? Every dog has his day, Mark. That's right. That's right. I just hope I'm not an old dog. <laughs> this is the most pertinent book in the most pertinent episode we've ever recorded, in my opinion, in regards to what's going on in the world. And I know you made a comment on LinkedIn the other day where you said, I'd have never have thought at the time that I wrote the book and prepared it for release that what I was talking about in this book would be so relevant for the moment as it took place. Yeah, I totally agree. It, it really, it's just, it's amazing because my publisher even changed my title on this last really? year. And I was upset over it. Ah, not upset, but I wasn't. But now <laughs> I go, wow, boy, did I have a great publisher. The content was the same. Why? What was the original title? The original title was Mondays Are For Selling, which is a good title. It's, that was the one I had picked. Right. But but they came up with a mind for sales. And yeah, I think the message in the book for right now is so pertinent. Uh, people who have had kind of an early sneak like you have been just over the moon on it saying, yeah, this is so, this is spot on. Yeah. I'm anxious for, um, you know, to get this book out there. Yeah. I think what, what we're going to see, Mike and I have just been recording another podcast, uh, which we call, um, we used to call it Always Be Hiring, but we're now calling it the Tough Times Podcast. We've rebranded it as of today. And what we were talking about was, at times like this, 
and it's going to sound awful to our audience, but we very quickly find out who the good guys and the bad guys are at this game. Boy, I'll tell you what, that is so true. Integrity and authenticity. So important right now. So yeah. important. And, yeah. I, and, and sorry, I think I, I probably didn't explain what I meant by good guys and bad guys. I think we find out who the good salesmen and the bad salesmen are. Yeah. Oh, yes. That's what I'm. Oh, that that's spot on. Because the salesperson who just wants to jam something down somebody's throat and doesn't take the time to listen. I, I've been telling people you have to listen to everyone's backstory. Everyone has a backstory. Just sit there and calmly listen to it. And everyone has a personal backstory and yeah. a business. There's a very good segue into yours, Mark. Thank you. Let's hear it. In terms, yeah, in terms of my backstory? Yeah. yeah. And I shall listen intently. <laughs> well, you know, like I open up in the book where really I owe my, my whole career in sales to the police department. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Seattle Police Department, because I got four tickets. Well, one was a double ticket uh, in the course of about six weeks. Um, nobody was harmed. Nobody was hurt. I just didn't know that really the rules and regulations of the law applied to me. I was in college. I'm not responsible for my actions. Right. Right. And, um, you know, I, I, I just thought in this one particular situation that I could drive like I was in the UK on the left-hand side of the road. Well, in the U S it's not taken too kindly to drive on the left-hand side of the road. <laughs> uh, and, um, so what, what happened was I, I got into sales only because I could not afford car insurance and I had to find a job that supplied me with a car. But I was so bad well, I was so focused on the wrong reasons. I got fired from my first two sales jobs. Uh-huh. Okay. Because I was focused on the commission. I was really just focused on jamming something down somebody's throat. And it wasn't until I kind of woke up and realized, well, I had a boss that I thought he was going to fire me. He kind of sat me down and said, hold it. What's the customer really telling you? What's the customer? What's the customer? How does this help the customer? And when that light began to come on, and I admit it was a dim light bulb at first. I, I'm not a, you know, I made the upper half of my class possible. We'll just let it go at that. Right. And um, uh, it, as that light began to get brighter and brighter, I began to realize, whoa, it is about the customer. And when you really take the time to listen and create a relationship, uh, it's amazing what happens. You know, I use a number of little one lines in there, and I always say the the only good sale is one that leads to the next sale, because either they come back and want more, or they refer you to somebody else. You know, uh, you, you you can't take. You know, you, you sales sales is not a really not a complicated business. Somehow we want to overcomplicate it. And what I want to say is, how do I make it simple? And I make it simple by just listening to the customer. And let the customer guide. And that that's, oh, there are a lot of salespeople that can't do that. But when you let the customer guide you, they'll take you to their problems. If you come across having authenticity, integrity, and transparency, that you're looking out for them. And boy, right now, wow. More important than ever. Yeah, do you, Michael, what do you think to that? I I I, uh, I do agree with that. I think that's always held true. What I'd like to do, however, is just get into the book a little bit because what I thought was really interesting is Mark is that most sales books, in fact, all bar this one, 
are all about technically doing things, how to manage a sale, how to identify a decision maker, how to make a cold call. And I think the mindset of a salesperson is really important. Why did you write a book on the mindset of the person rather than a book on technically selling stuff? Well, this is this again, I think is why this book is so right for right now. My first book was High Profit Selling, which is about how to maximize the price. And what I realized as I wrote that book is if you start off with the wrong prospect, you can't close at full price. So that's what led me to write my second book, High Profit Prospecting. Well, then as I'm writing that book and rolling it out and talking to people, I, I really see that it really comes down to your mindset. If your mindset isn't right, I don't care what your technique is, you're not going to be able to make it happen long term. So that's what led me to write this book. Really, you might say that each book has been a prequel to the other. I just take my lead from Star Wars because that's what that that's what they're doing. Right. They just, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And, and how many salespeople do you think are truly cognizant of their own mindset? I don't think very many. I don't I think. Agree with you. I mean, I, I think it's only a, a maybe three, four uh, percent because we've been trained. We've had this drilled into it that it's a process. It's a rote activity. Now I get that. I got to go to the gym every day. You know, if I don't work out, my muscles become flabby. I get that. Sales is the same way. But boy, I'll tell you what, if your head isn't in the right place, you won't. I, I do agree, and I think that's going to be, you know, uh, exemplified and magnified because we're all quite happy working from home and blah de blah But actually, when you can't leave home, so when you're working from home as a choice rather than being, you know, being decreed upon you, I can just see that messing with people's minds a little bit. Yeah, I, I agree. People are going to need strong minds, I think, now. Uh, I, I'd, oh. I'd be interested to see, and, you know, we talk about the mindset. Uh, I'd be interested to take a poll now of our candidate audience, how many of them were up at the same time that they would have normally got up at, at the time that they'd go to the office? How many of them have found a way to do some exercise even though the gym is closed? How many of them would have got up and put a suit on today? And people laugh at you and I, you know, you might, you, Mark, you'll find out, I, I tend to dress quite casually normally, but because I'm at home and, I, and I'm not going to lose my selling mindset, I've got up and put a suit on this morning. Um, because... That's it. We're in the sales game and we're, we're, we're here to serve customers. And I'm in my home office, which I don't come in that often because normally we're, we're in, the, in the office at work. But it, it's that mindset and it will be really interesting to find out who is and who isn't working on their mental game now and the questions they're asking themselves. Um, I, I really liked a lot of what you talked about. And, and I know, Michael, you loved this bit. The whole Mondays are for selling bit. Ah, oh, Johnny, you know, so I've taken some notes here, and my second note is something that us three are going to fall out about. Oh, I think really? you two, I think you two are going to gang up on me on this, which is page 11. Uh, it, it talks about a 10 step game pl play f for managing your week. I do not think people should work at the weekend. Wow. Okay. Now that's interesting. But you live in the UK, and I wrote the book in the US. Boom. We'll try. <laughs> Um, yeah, and, and, and I've had a little bit of pushback from that, and occasionally I do. But my whole thing is, again, remember that I don't view sales as a job. I don't view sales as a life, you know, as a profession. It's a lifestyle. 
I'll go on to that as well. And see, so I, I like gearing up on a Sunday night in terms of mentally preparing. What am I going to be doing? And you're right. I laid those things out. And, of course, as, as I said in there, that, yes, those, those 10 things apply to Mondays, but they also apply to every day of the week. Um, what I get, what I don't like is when I see salespeople, and this is, this is the challenge, especially remote salespeople, and we're all remote right now. They spend Mondays getting ready to sell. So that means there's no selling going on. And, and, and then they take Fridays because they got to get caught up on all the paperwork and everything. So what does that leave? That leaves three days. That leaves only 60% of the week. And I say, hey, if I, I can hit Monday hard, I can make money. Because as I go, you know, that first day of the week, amazing how it sets the tone and the tempo. Uh, I, do agree, I do completely agree with that. My thought process on it, however, is, I think you should finish every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, ready for the next working day. So I think Friday, if it meant I had to sit at my desk until 10 o'clock at night so that I was ready for a Monday and didn't work over the weekend, that is what I would do. Because I actually think as individuals, it's going to be a lot harder now, but I think we need some distinction between work and play. And I think, you know, so, so you know, I'm sat in my office, my door's closed, my kids will not come in. Full stop, they will not come in. But actually, if I'm sat here on Saturday just messing about my photos and stuff, you know, they should be able to come in. And and I know Jonathan does work on Sunday afternoon. He knows I... Sunday you know, morning, I mate. Yeah, but I just... I, I personally think that as individuals, we need a bit of downtime and distinction. And I think particularly as we're getting into this, everybody's working from home, keeping the lines of distinction are going to be yeah. even more important. I have to say, oh. I didn't work yesterday for that reason. Right, because you needed your space. I, I, everybody yeah. needs to create space in their life. And, and this is going to be, I remember the first time I worked from home, this was about 20 years ago. We closed down our office and we all moved home. This was a cost-cutting move. And it drove my wife crazy. And she said, you have to set boundaries. You have to set boundaries. You will not work after certain certain time because... I was on the East Coast of the United States, and the offices were on the West Coast. So, what does that mean? So, yes, we have to set boundaries, and especially if you've got kids and your and everybody else running around the house, you have to. And that creates another little bit of a I don't want to say a dilemma. I say an opportunity. We also have to allow for flexibility. That if we're on a conference call with somebody and the dog starts barking, it's no big deal. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> this is life, that, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. It's interesting. When my first home working job, my guitar playing came on so much. I love it. I love yeah, it. I really, yeah, I've never managed that. So, I really came on a lot. So to jump in something else then, so I was going to mention something on page 27, but I'm going to jump to page 31 because you half touched on it then, Mark, which is page 31. Sales is not your job. Sales is your lifestyle. I do I do agree and I don't agree. My, my thought process is that there are certain personality traits that will make, that will slip between the two. So, you know, when I go into a shop and I want a refund, my sales head comes on straight away, 100%. But actually, I think you've got to be careful not to treat my kids like a sales prospect. I think there's got to be a line of distinction between the two things, personally. Without yeah. a doubt, that's the leadership. 
that's the leadership role you play. And, you know, you are a salesperson, but you're a sales leader. And you're right. You lead your children. Yeah. You do not prospect your children. You lead your children. There's no point me asking my seven-year-old daughter a series of tie-down yeses to then give an alternate close. I'll definitely get her to do what I want. But she's going to sit there with shivering resentment. Do you want Weetabix or Frosties? It starts better than that, doesn't it? So my my youngest daughter's called Felicity. Everyone calls her Liz. Yes. Should you eat something healthy? Well, yes, probably. Right. Well, your choice is gruel or Weetabix. What do you want? Yeah, that's going to irritate her a little bit. But then it takes me into another point that you've just said, actually, which is page 27. You say that great salespeople are great leaders. Now, I want to ask you something here, which is I think there is a distinction between a leader and a manager. Do you see a distinction between those two points, Mark? Yes. Yes. Big distinction. And the leadership... Let me give you an example. Winston Churchill, during World War II, when he would take to the radio every, every day to calm the nerves of the London residents, was he leading or was he selling? He was oh, both. I agree. He was both. I do agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah, well, Boris so, is selling now, isn't he? And he's leading. And it, that is exactly what Boris is doing. Right. And, it, and it's, you know, now, whether or not, the true mark of a great salesperson, the true mark of a leader, is not the results you stick in, you stick on the board one day or one week. It's the results you stick on the board over a long period of time. And you know, we'll see how Boris Johnson does over the course of several years. And um, you know, we watch him from this side of the pond, just as you watch Donald Trump from your side of the pond. We do. Now and, we um, turn Donald Trump off when he comes on the TV, Mark. Well, that's the same as we do here. So, <laughs> I don't think there's any difference. Yeah. So, yeah. No. So, yeah. So, go on, Mike. You were going to say something. I, I was going to go on. I've got a whole list of questions oh, here. Oh, this is great. You've that's... made this very oh, easy for me, Mike. I'm just impressed that you actually read the book. <laughs> oh, we, we really, really do read the books. I really did like really the book. It says, chapter 12, you talk about protecting time and you say discipline is a virtue. And this, again, you know, is very germane to the, to the, to the current uh, situation, which is that so many people now are at, home with their, are at home in their home office with their kids. And my kids, if I look out my window, you see there's a window on the right-hand side. My kids are actually, if I look out, they're on the trampoline right now. They're jumping up and down, waving at me through the window because they can see me. And then the postman's going to knock on the door and my dog's going to bark. What's your advice, Mark, right now to people that are listening about protecting their time and being disciplined? Yeah. One of the key things that I do in terms of discipline your time is know what your priorities are and get focused on them first. I wake up every morning at 4.30 in the morning. And this morning... I woke up at 4.30, and the very first thing I did was I had to take care of getting a document out the door. That was the first thing I did. I didn't do anything else. And then later on in the morning, about 6 o'clock, my wife is getting ready to leave for work. She works in a hospital, and I naturally made time to have a cup of coffee with her, enjoy breakfast with her. And, again, that was my total break in the day. We have to, again, this comes back to setting boundaries, setting limits. I manage my activities based on my calendar. In other words, I have on my calendar today, every one of the key activities I'm going to get done 
based on the outcomes I want to complete. And I assign them times. Because one of the things that I find working at home is you can very quickly allow time to get away from you. And then suddenly you don't get it done. Yeah, so I agree. You're talking about, so what you're talking about there, Mark, is not sitting opposite your wife, having your breakfast and sending out the document at the same time. No. You're not committing to either then. That's what you're talking about. You are not doing either justice. I mean, I believe multitasking is a bunch of garbage. It really is. Be focused, be in the moment. I'll never forget an interview uh, somebody had with Steve Jobs. He had to fight for years to get the interview with Steve Jobs. And they only had 10 minutes. But when Steve walked into the room and sat down, Steve was totally focused on that person for 10 minutes. Do you know what's very... Sorry, go on. So, I mean, that, that's be in the moment for whoever you're with, and especially you know, right now. Do you know, it's interesting. I've got a client that I've known for years, a CEO, and, um, you know, it's laughable because I'll drive to the end of the country with him. We'll have a 20-minute meeting and I'll leave. But we get so much done in that 20 minutes. And he's not a rude man. You know, he's a nice guy. Doesn't ask me how my kids are. I don't ask him how he's are. We don't have any of that social interface. I sit down and go, right, what, you, what, what do you want? What are you doing? He goes, dush, 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 dush. he goes, have you got enough information? I go, well, ask him some questions. Then I leave. When I first met him, which is sort of 20 years ago, really, at start my recruitment career, I can remember leaving thinking, God, what just happened then? <laughs> I've only been with him for 20 minutes. But actually, I mean, Jonathan knows who he is, and Jonathan has actually been in the same building. And I can remember you saying to me, Johnny, God, you're only with him for quite an hour, Mike. What He's so there? polite about just, it. He's so yep. polite, and you don't leave thinking this guy's just fired information at me. But he just knows I'm short of time, and I've got it. And I'm to get the appointment with him is hard, but be, when you're in there, he is all in. Yeah, and he's yeah. undivided. And I think we're, we're going to see, we're going to find out a lot about a lot of salespeople in the next, few, I think, four months. We're going to find oh, out. Absolutely. We're going to find out who actually is good at selling and who isn't. We're going to find out who got a lot of success because they worked for the right company at the right time with the right product in a hot market. And we're going to find out who can actually make a difference to a deal or make a difference or find an opportunity when others couldn't. A lot of it, I think, you know, you, you talked, I think it, you wrote the book on prospecting, didn't you? High Profit Prospecting. Yeah. I love that book, by the way, Mike, that's maybe one we should do because uh, I think it's going to be very pertinent. Um, I, I think a lot of the next six months is going to be about who can actually create a conversation and be in that conversation with somebody now there is an advantage which is you and i have both found michael people aren't that hard to get hold of right now oh easy easy i cannot get over how easy it is to speak to decision makers at the moment and how much time they've got because everybody sat at home thinking oh shit what am i going to do absolutely well (laughs) they're not in the cars they're not in the cars no so and they're not with customers So here's one for you then, Mark. Chapter 15, you talk about uh, sales being a team sport. I think team sports, the uh, analogy that you created, is much easier to do when you're in the office. But now you've got a disparate workforce, clearly because everybody's working from home. If you're a salesperson and you're trying to cultivate and create that team, how should people be doing that now when everybody's working from home, do you reckon? Well, it's interesting. I just sent a note out to a number of sales v- VPs that I have a chance to work with. And one of the things that 
I, I said is you have to create that team. Make sure this week that you send them a food box. Make sure you send them lunch or something like that. We're all working remotely, but you've got to creep that, cre- keep creating that team environment. I think we're going to find very creative ways. One of the other things that I tell sales managers right now to do is you have to have a group call either in the morning or in the afternoon. And everybody gets on that call and it's a video call. So we can see everybody and everybody has to chime in with one element of success that they had today. In other words, how we create the team is going to look different because of the mediums, but it does not excuse us. If we allow people to work in isolation, we are going to find ourselves with an absolute train wreck on our hands, especially when we pull them back into the office, which will happen sometime. It's going to create for some very awkward moments. Yeah, I think we're going to find out who the real leaders are as well, Mark. Oh, no doubt. Oh, yes. Yeah. Any, anybody can lead when, when things are good. That's a no-brainer. I, years ago, I used to manage McDonald's restaurants. Uh, wow, that's a chapter out of my life. And at one point in time, I was managing the second highest volume McDonald's in the world. Seriously, wow. in the world. Wow. Okay. And something I took away from that, it was really quite easy. It was really easy. It just full throttle. It was just full throttle. You had your foot to the pedal all the time. It was actually much harder to manage a slow volume McDonald's because you had to really watch your costs. You had to watch your labor. You had to watch every element of what you could control. And my skills became much sharper managing a low volume McDonald's than a high volume McDonald's. Yeah, and that's. I think that's a very good metaphor in as Mike and I talked about this a little bit more on Always Be Hiring, didn't we? It, that when things are going great, it's easy. But when things are that little bit tougher, and it's one of the things we talked about, and, and I'd, I'd be interested in your view on it. Mike and I, in 2008, we bought this massive whiteboard, Mark. And on that whiteboard, we gridded it into a funnel. And at the top of the funnel, then we drew a line down the middle, one for one side on Mike Price, one side on Johnny Graham. And on one side, it said calls, decision makers, new, new, uh, we didn't even put specs. We actually created a, a, a lead for quality callbacks, then yeah. specs, then interviews, then second interviews. And the funnel got lower and lower. And on the side of each one, we wrote what the current conversion ratios were and what the volumes were for the week the day, the week, the month, the quarter, and the year. And we constantly obsessed over the numbers. Obsessed over it. And what I've seen recently is that has become so unfashionable to talk about key performance indicators, the numbers, the things that contribute to the thing. And I'll be interested what your opinion is on where we may go back with that and how that will work for people. Because actually, for me, that mindset, that saved us. That kept that's, that kept me in a house. Well, you know, now, think about this for a moment. You were focused on, on the numbers, which I think we're going to see a real return to the numbers because everybody's remote. But what worked is because you guys knew each other so well. See, so you had the dialogue between the numbers. And that's what's key. Yeah. What we don't want is the spreadsheet jockey who's leading the team without ever talking to them. That's yeah. where we get into issues. That, that's the problem. I want to see the numbers. I want to know the numbers, but I want to know the conversation behind the numbers. 
because numbers don't always tell the full story. And I'm sure there were many, many times that you two had some really serious conversations. Oh, yeah. About what number meant and what was really behind that number. That's what's key. And that that's, I think that's going to be the challenge right now because it's going to be easy for salespeople to um, create smoke. Hey, look over there. Look, everything's great when, you know, this is burning over here. And this is where I think sales managers, sales leaders really have to be paying attention. I want to focus on KPIs, but I got to know the reason and and the conversation behind each number. I yes, think I agree. I think there's a lot of sales leaders that don't know how to focus on KPIs, Mark. I think Mike and I were talking about this earlier about the, a generational gap. And we were saying that you've got a whole generation of leaders, managers, people who've actually never known tough times. Well, so true. They, they have never been through a difficult, difficult time. And, and, and that's what makes uh, this so difficult. Now, I'm a little bit older, and uh, my parents were born during World War II, and they, they shared, shared stories as little kids growing up in World War II and rationing and everything. And they had a much different outlook on life. Mm. And you're right. We've had kind of a wonderful – in fact, I just wrote a piece on this that you're really if, – if you're under the age of really 25 or even 30, you probably don't even remember really 9-11. No, and, and here in the U.S., travesty that that created. Uh, so as a result, they don't. So what happens is they look at numbers um, as abstract objects, and this is where you really get into trouble because if you look at each number as a standalone abstract item, you don't understand how one number impacts the other number, impacts the other number. And as I talk about in the book where, you know, it, it, it's what are you putting in at the top of the pipeline? What, what's going in at the top and what's coming out the bottom? And and really the number that really counts, of course, is what's what's closing. What's the percentage that's closing? And, but each number along the way does impact the other. And that, I think, is the skill set that too many frontline managers have never – really developed to any degree as to how to understand that. And that's, and that's why they go wonky. That's why they get wigged out over that middle of the pipeline. And again, I talk about in the, in the book, you know, it, is it a sewer pipe or a water? Yeah. So Miller Hyman talks yeah, about that a lot. Don't yeah. I, I used to stuff my pipeline with all kinds of stuff that wasn't going anywhere because that was the number my boss looked at. If I wanted to keep my boss off my back. I, I just kept stuff in there. I could fill that thing up with crap pretty easily. <laughs> We've seen that before, haven't we, Mike? We have chapter 26. You do not close a sale, you begin a relationship. Now, I wasn't as convinced about this one, to be honest. I got your sentiment, but I think as a book that's creating a mindset in somebody, it should have said, you do close a sale, which begins with a relationship. Ooh. You close a sale and it begins a relationship, yes. Why weren't you my editor? Yeah. Why weren't you my editor? Man. <laughs> no. If you saw me write stuff down, you'd know I wasn't your editor. No, that, no but that, I think that, that's good. It does start with a relationship. Where I get hung up is the word closing. 
Chloe is such a negative um, word, and and too many salespeople, what they do. I, I work with several teams right now where their total compensation is just off what they close, nothing off of retention, nothing off of what they build after the customer. So what do they do? They put all their focus into just landing the big sale. They don't land the small sale that's going to increase quickly into the big sale because they don't get compensated for it. And closing, it's just, oh, man, it's just, uh. Do you like being, being sold to? No, but I like buying. Well, that's a nice distinction. But he, he, here's the thing. I like being sold to if I have trust in you that you have my best interest at heart. If, if you know, you can, you can sell to me. If you, if you believe what you have is going to help me and I trust you and I respect you and you have integrity and authenticity, then fine. I'll, I want you to sell to me. Because I love being closed. The guy that closed me on my wife's car, he closed me so hard. And I was sat there inwardly smiling, thinking, this is good. Because actually, the more he closed me, the more I thought, right, I can just drag this out a little bit. And uh, I quite liked it. But you'd already made that decision to buy that car, Mike. Oh, I was closed, yeah. Yeah, and see, you were were playing the salesperson game. Let's see what tactic this guy uses next. Now, I remember, hey, hey. The, the best sale I ever made was getting my wife to say yes. <laughs> and that is a relationship that has continued to keep on giving. I should I'm have qualified mine a bit harder. Closed. <laughs> 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 I like you guys. I like you guys. So page 64. Skip the presentation. The best sales, pre- sales presentation ever made is the sales pre- presentation never given. 100% agree with that. I think sales presentations are so bloody dull. But what's very interesting is, why do, sell, why do you, I would think, 99% of interviews end up in someone doing a presentation? Why do 99% of sales processes include a sales presentation? Well, Because whilst I agree with you, there doesn't seem to be a better alternative of any kind. Well, there isn't a better alternative because sales managers don't trust salespeople. I mean, the whole thing is, here's the presentation you must go through. And we go through this big boilerplate because we don't trust salespeople to have a conversation. What I want to do, and I talk about in the book, that I want to know my material so well, so good, that I don't need a presentation. When I when I deliver a keynote speech, I don't walk up there to the lectern and put my notes on there and read it. No, no. I know my material so well that I can deliver this presentation without any notes. And if the audience is going one way, I can go that way. If the audience is going another way, I can I can go that way. But I still wind up delivering the message I want to deliver in the time frame that I want to deliver it in. And I think that's so critical, especially right now, because like we said earlier in the call, relationships and phone calls. Boy, we're, we're all having phone calls with people we never dreamed of. And it's amazing. Which really, uh, I, I've come up with a new term. It's not my term. I've seen it all, all over the internet. You know, you know, I say the best presentation is the one never given. Really, it's hashtag ditch the pitch. Uh, now, there are technical things you got to share in a sales call. I get that. But let's make it a conversation, not an interrogation. 
But I think the that's whole... too reliant. I do agree with you, but I think it's too reliant on people being good salespeople. Yes, Mike, I... that's where I was going with this as well. No, I, I, I totally agree. But you know what? If I can just move the paradigm just a few degrees because of making a bold statement like that, then I then I'll consider that a success. Yeah. I want salespeople to take ownership. I want salespeople to own because here's the whole thing. If all I'm doing is regurgitating to you, the customer, the same thing that you can find on the internet, I'm going to be out of a job pretty soon. And a lot of people will be. And a lot lot and a lot of why the presentation has become such a powerful tool in the last few years is the obsession that so many technology companies and companies in general have had with massive scale. And and as a result, they have hired massive volumes of SDRs who get on the phone and do massive volumes of pitches because actually, ironically, they know that X many pitches, if the pitch is good and the kids follow the pitch, that X many of those will turn into X many second pitches, will turn into X many appointments for field sales, which will turn into X many deals. Um, Actually now... It sounds like the numbers, right? Yeah, but actually now, I think what will have to happen is people are going to have to really listen um, and really get it to get at any form of differential foot in the door to start playing for a deal, or at least in any form of larger, more complex sale anyway, and that's not a commodity sale. One of the things you didn't talk about much in the book that really surprised me, Mark, and I'm waiting to see any one of uh, the sales authoring community to come up with it, is you didn't talk much actually about the purity of pure listening skill. So you talk a lot about authenticity, integrity, but no one seems to talk about this key. For me, it's an elephant in the sales room, actually Mm -hmm. teaching people how to listen. You know, it's funny. That's actually what I'm kicking around right now as the subject for my next book. Right. Is that whole, which again, this is the prequel. This is the prequel. <laughs> you know, you got to have the mind, you got to be able to listen. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm actually kicking that idea around now because you're right. It's, it's listening is something we have just lost. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the lost art because we're cra- Everybody's craving for attention. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's driven by social media, I think. Social oh. media is constant, is constant send. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons I put, you know, in there that you can't take clicks and likes to the bank. I mean... I, I like that. You know, you know, I've obviously interrogated your book cl- closely. My, my sort of closing point, and then I'll actually let Jonathan get a word in edgewise, is I, I think it's a good book. The, the underriding theme of goodness in it is, and I'm going to paraphrase you, hugely here and probably misrepresent it a little bit but essentially one of the fundamental parts you're saying is at some point you've got to pick up a phone and call somebody you can't sit there and rely on bloody social media this that and the other and i thought that was very refreshing sort of thing that 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 went through the book actually yeah Uh, and, and we have a lot of time for the fact that you talk about the purity of get on your phone um and that is gonna really differentiate again in the next six months we're going to really find out who is and who isn't phone shy because the phone works well the phone works and i think what's happening is we're already starting to see it 
I mean, here in many parts of the U.S., people are working at home now for either the first week or the second week, or maybe it's the third week, but, and it's becoming internet overload. You know, everybody was on Facebook the first week and, you know, LinkedIn, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it's going to wind up becoming such an overload that there's a pushback against it. Do you know, today, one of the first things I did this morning at about 5 a.m. was I took the link to my LinkedIn messenger, messenger, and I saved it as a bookmark so I don't have to see the feed. I think that's smart. Yeah. Because that's what happens. I mean, that becomes the shiny object, the squirrel. Yeah. So, I, so I don't have to see the feed. All, and so if I need to go into LinkedIn to communicate with somebody, I can click straight into link my, my messaging inbox and read my messages, and I don't ever have to theoretically look at the feed, Other, which is awful because <laughs> we're going to cut this up into loads of different pieces of content and put it in the feed. But, oh, the feed is... And I think people are drowning in their feed right now. Drowning, they are. That's why I mean, I, I have a couple times a day that I go out on social media, and I race through. I make my comments, and then I get off. I get out. And you're right. I, I, I put content out there, and I get hundreds of comments. And you know, I've got I, I've been blessed. I got three hundred and thirty thousand followers on LinkedIn, for instance. Wow. Um, and my message box, my my inbox, I really um, only go through that. Don't shoot me. I go through that on Saturday mornings. That's really the only time I really pay attention to it because I just don't have time. Time is valuable. Use it wisely. You do have time. You just choose to use it on something that's a bit more productive. Yeah. I mean, that, that you know, it, it, it is amazing. Richard Branson and you and I have the same amount of time, 24 hours in a day. Boy, he sure seems to get a lot done. Hmm. True. I wonder what he's doing right now. I bet he's not creating a podcast. Bet he's sat on his private island, avoiding all the all the all the stress. Uh, excuse me, I just got a text from him. So when we get done here, I got to get. <laughs> Mark, it's been absolutely brilliant having you on the show. Um, when we started off the book, I wasn't enjoying it, and then as we got into it, I enjoyed it more. And the thing that I got the most out of it was actually it got me thinking about again my own mindset towards my own salesmanship and selling skills. That was for me. It it was a kicker. Not necessarily, there was no one thing where I'd say, that was my big takeaway. My big takeaway was, it got me thinking about, actually, am I I thinking like a sales guy here? Or have I got caught up in social media and this and that? And it got me thinking a little bit more about, where's my A-game as a sales professional? And then, ironically, we all got locked up in our houses, and it's going to become even more important. So thank you so much. It's been a great book, and we've really enjoyed talking about it on the show. Um, Thank you. 